Welcome to the Moms Who Money podcast, where every week we chat about all things related to money, mom life, mindset, and spirituality. I'm your host, Eileen Joy, and I am a money and mindset coach for moms, teaching you how to confidently go from living paycheck to paycheck to making money easy. Money doesn't have to be hard. It is possible to break the chains, and I'm going to show you how. Get ready to join the Moms Who Money. Welcome back to the Moms Who Money podcast. It is so fun to be here with you every week. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're looking for a safe space to learn about money and how to make it easy, you've come to the right place. If you're a regular, welcome back. I am truly so grateful for you. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here. If you've been loving the show, the content that I provide, and of course, if you love me, would you please help? The only way that this show will find its way to other women just like you is if you rate, review, and share. And if you're listening on Apple iTunes or Spotify, you can rate the show five stars, which literally takes one second, and you can do it quickly right now. If you're listening on Apple iTunes, you have the unique ability to also write a review, which well takes 30 seconds of your time. All you need to do is just pause the show real quick, go write your review, rate the show five stars, come on back for today's topic, which I know you're going to love. And please also take a second to take a screenshot of today's episode and share it to your stories or on your social feed. And always remember, tag me at Eileen Joy Money Coach so I can give you a shout out. And I love to see which episodes that you're loving. Please remember that money is one of those taboo topics that, you know, your friends and family really aren't talking about. Typically, I mean, you don't go out for nachos and margaritas and talk about your bank accounts. (laughs) With your help, we can spread the word about Moms Who Money and Money School for Moms together. A simple share can change someone's life forever, I swear. Mother's Day was this weekend. I have such mixed feelings about Mother's Day. I still remember my first Mother's Day, where all I wanted to do was take a nap, I swear. (laughs) I was freaking exhausted, and all I wanted was a nap. I was hoping that Mother's Day for me would be a day of rest. Nope. It never has been ever (laughs) day of rest. It's always caused me stress in some way. Even when I was little, we would get together with both sides of my family, my father's side and then my mother's side. Never one big party, which I always thought was weird. We would just eat all day long. And then by the end of the day, there would be so much driving, so many fights. And I, I would just feel awful and always way too full. I love spending time with my son, Sebastian. I live for spending time with him. He's my favorite person on the planet. And whenever we hang out, we always have fun adventures. And this weekend was no exception. I still didn't get my nap, but we had such a fun afternoon. And it was actually his dad's weekend. So his dad dropped him off at my house. And and then Sebastian and I went to one of my favorite Japanese restaurants so I could get my favorite ginger salad and sushi. You know, he won't touch sushi, but his favorite is soba noodles with chicken and fried rice. He loves that so, so much. And he's still trying to perfect using chopsticks, which is always fun. Do your kids ever use chopsticks? The restaurant always gives us those little plastic things that you can snap onto the end of them so that they're easier to hold. He loves that. And it's so much fun. Then we went right next door to Petland to go see the puppies because, oh, We do that every time. Every time we go to this restaurant, we always go next door to Petland to go see the puppies. I always want to take all of those puppies home with me. Every single one of them. I just want to rescue all of them and bring them all home with me and just snuggle with them. But alas, I cannot do that. (laughs) 
One of his favorite stores where he found out that he can get Pokemon cards at with for his latest obsession is also in that same shopping center. So, of course, we walked all the way over to the store so we can get him some cards. And yes, of course, he did use his own money for the purchase. Of course, he, I don't buy him Pokemon cards. He saves for them. And then we went to Home Depot. We got some flowers to plant in the pots that I have in the backyard. I know I'm a bit late to the party, but, you know, it's been busy and pollen. Pollen in Atlanta is so bad. I don't, just don't even want to be out there planting. We ended up having such a fun day and I loved every second of it. Even though it was 87 degrees and we were melting outside, <laughs> it was still really fun. And he also played a song for me on his new ukulele. Did I mention that he's taking ukulele lessons now? I don't know if I did, but he started taking lessons last week and he's already dominating. Last week, he learned how to play You Are My Sunshine, Let It Be by The Beatles, and No Woman, No Cry by Bob, by Bob Marley. It's amazing. Like, he just loves it. He doesn't want to put his ukulele down, and I'm just so proud of him. What did you do for Mother's Day? Do you love Mother's Day or do you dread it? Everyone that I talk to has a different response, so I'd really love to know what you do on Mother's Day or if you go out and do something or if you get to take a nap. What do you do? I want some ideas. I don't know what to do. Like maybe next year, like, do we just go out to eat? Do we go see a movie? Like, what do you guys do? Do you actually get to rest? Do you get to just sit and read a book? <laughs> Close your eyes. <laughs> I really want to know. Before we get started on today's topic, I need to let you know that Money School for Moms is getting started right after Memorial Day. I'm so excited to bring you this program. Money School for Moms is where you're going to learn everything that you never learned in school. It's the program that I wish I had when I was learning about money. And that's why I created it the way that I did. Because you're going to learn how to create wealth for yourself and your kids and stop living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, what's better than that? <laughs> I mean, really, I've taken everything that I teach my one-on-one -on -one private clients and I packaged it up into a live 12-week program. You even get a private one-on-one -on -one call with me included in the program. And you also get the same welcome gift that I send to my private clients. And here's an amazing surprise. This is amazing. I hope you're sitting down because this is crazy. I had a company that wants to stay anonymous, so I can't mention them, but this company approached me and they donated money to this program because they believe in it so much that I was able to reduce the price even further for this next session. And I have to say, if you're ready to jump in and be serious about empowering yourself with a financial education, seriously, this is the time. You'd be crazy to pass up this opportunity. All you need to do is set up a quick call with me using the link in the show notes or just go to my website, momstomoney.com. Click on the Money School for Moms link to schedule your call. I want to get to know you before you sign up and get all your questions answered. I have been wanting to talk about this topic for a little while, but honestly, I was waiting. Everyone else has been talking about this, but I was waiting to see if another bank was going to fail. <laughs> I really wanted to know if they were going to fail or not before I actually started talking about it because this has been the buzz in the financial world for the last couple of months. And if you haven't heard about this or you did, but you didn't really pay attention, it's time to listen up. Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic Bank have all collapsed this year. Three of the four largest bank failures in U.S. history have taken place over the last two months. It's really starting to make everyone not feel so confident about our banking system. So 
The first one happened to Silicon Valley Bank. That was on March 10th. And then Signature Bank on March 12th, a couple days later. And then First Republic Bank on May 1st all within the last couple of months. Silicon Valley Bank lost $209 billion. First Republic Bank, $212 billion. Signature Bank, $110 billion. So this is why it happened. This is this is how it all went down. So the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank happened in March 2023, and that was a result of a bank run that was caused by venture capitalists. And what happened was, the bank reported that it needed $2.25 billion to strengthen, or using the financial term, shore up its balance sheet. And then by the end of the next business day, their bank customers had withdrawn about $42 billion. So as a result, the regulators had to close the bank and then they took control of its assets. Silicon Valley Bank had last reported $209 billion in assets as of the fourth quarter of 2022, which made it the second largest bank failure of all time. And this all started because of what's called a bank run. So what's a bank run? Well, let me tell you. (laughs) This is how a bank run works. So bank runs happen when a large number of people start making withdrawals from a bank because they're afraid that the bank's gonna run out of money. So a bank run is typically the result of panic. That's all it is. People panic, and it's not because the bank's going out of business or they're losing money, it's because people panic. So what happens is the bank run is triggered by fear. And then that's what pushes the bank into bankruptcy, or it it doesn't always, but it could. And in this case, you know, they closed. When people try to withdraw all of their money out of fear. So when people try to withdraw all their money out of fear of of the bank collapsing, and what happens is when it's done simultaneously by many, 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 many people, the bank can run out of cash. And then that's what causes it to become what's called insolvent. And basically the company is insolvent when it can't pay its debts, right? So this could mean either it can't pay its bills when they become due because it has more liabilities than assets. Make sense? So a bank run occurs when a large group of depositors withdraw their money from banks all at the same time. Bank runs have occurred throughout history, including the Great Depression and the 2008 financial crisis. Most institutions have set a limit on how much they can store in their vaults daily. So these limits are set based on the need and their security reasons. Many banks also keep specific amounts in reserve at the nation's central bank to minimize those risks that are related to these bank runs and all these other issues that are happening. In fact, the Federal Reserve pays them interest to do this. And it's a program that they call the Interest on Reserve Balances. And it's the acronym IORB. And this program gives banks an incentive to keep deposits on reserve because banks typically only keep a small percentage of deposits of cash on hand. So they have to increase their cash to meet the withdrawal demands of their customers. So this is one way that they do it. One method that bank uses to increase their cash on hand is to sell their assets. Kind of like what I had to do when I had to move out of my house after my divorce. I had to sell some of my stuff (laughs) to be able to move on with my life. So you know what? Big banks do this too. Sometimes they sell their assets at a significantly lower price than, you know, if they didn't have to sell them so quickly. And so at that point, then they start taking losses. And then 
They sell their assets at lower prices, and then it causes customer concerns, which then also trigger those panic withdrawals, and then the bank runs are <laughs> running rampant. And so this is what happened over the, the last couple of months with all these bank runs and all these bank closures. So like I said earlier, bank runs are associated with the Great Depression. So during all that craziness of the 1929 stock market crash, Americans panicked. And then they began withdrawing all their deposits from their bank because they wanted their cash. So it was one bank run after another, after another, after another, after another on literally thousands of banks. And that all occurred in the early 1930s, as we know, right? Which that's what caused that whole domino effect on the economy. So to try to prevent bank runs in response to the turmoil of the 1930s, our government stepped in and then they established what they call reserve requirements. And that basically mandated the banks to maintain a certain percentage of their total deposits on hand as cash. Since then, this requirement has now been reduced to zero by the Federal Reserve because now they have some new rules in place. But back then, that's what they did. Then in 1933, the U.S. Congress established what's called the FDIC. They were formed to insure bank deposits in response to these many bank failures from all these previous years. Its mission is to maintain stability and public confidence in the U.S. financial system. So really, what is the FDIC? So FDIC stands for the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And it's an independent federal agency that provides deposit insurance protection against losses if a bank or savings and loan association fails. The FDIC's original mission was to offer peace of mind to banking customers after the crash of the stock market and all that financial disaster, which included bank runs and all these bank failures, which began in 1929. And the FDIC, you know, it started back in 1933, and it continues to evolve and evolve and evolve over the years. And it just really helps to protect banks against insolvency, which thankfully, because so many more banks would go out of business if this wasn't in place. When it was originally formed back in 1933, the agency, the American Bankers Association, said that it wouldn't work. It was too expensive. But despite all that, the FDIC actually was able to prove successful because only nine additional banks closed in 1934. It was pretty amazing because of all the thousands of banks that, had, that failed back then. This is a fun fact. The deposit insurance coverage was initially set at $2,500 in 1933. And so today, add a bunch of zeros, the FDIC now provides $250,000 in coverage per depositor per account. And, you know, we can chalk that up to inflation, right? Every year goes up a little inflation. That's a big difference since 1933. The first time that the FDIC paid claims to depositors of failed banks was in the mid-1980s. And that's when there was another crash that I don't know if you know about. That's a whole other conversation. As we know, America's financial markets were completely destroyed by the 1930s. And at that time, over 9,000 banks failed by March of 1933 because of all the panic and the chaos. It was all triggered by that stock market crash of 1929, which is still the worst economic depression in, in our history. So in March of 1933, when the FDIC was formed at the time, Franklin D. Roosevelt was our president. On that day, he addressed Congress, and this is what he said. This was a quote. 
On March 3rd, banking operations in the United States ceased. To review at this time, the causes of this failure of our banking system is unnecessary. Suffice it to say that the government has been compelled to step in for the protection of depositors and the business of the nation. And that's when Congress took action to protect bank depositors and created the Emergency Banking Act of 1933, which also forms the FDIC. So what really does the FDIC do? So the FDIC is coverage that protects your deposits in the event of a banking crisis. And this insurance is paid for by the banks, not the customers or taxpayers. It's insurance, like what you do, like when you pay for medical insurance, right? You make a monthly payment to have your insurance in case of emergency. The FDIC is basically the same thing. It's paid by the bank as insurance. It's an insurance policy for them in case something happens that their customers will be covered. So what'll happen is if a bank gets you, if a bank gets into trouble, the FDIC either provides you with an account at another insured bank or they just cut you a check for the balance for what you were insured for. And according to its website, the FDIC usually provides these funds within just a few days of a bank's failure, which is pretty phenomenal. The FDIC is funded by premiums that the banks and the savings associations pay for deposit insurance coverage, right? So the FDIC insures trillions of dollars of deposits in U.S. banks. Those deposits are virtually every bank and savings association in the country. So the FDIC, like I said, insures you up to $250,000 in deposits, right, at your insured bank. But what happens if you have more? What if you have more than $250,000 in the bank? So first of all, if you do, you got to make sure that that money's insured. And you have to do your due diligence when you open your accounts to make first make sure, first of all, that you are insured because not all banks are FDIC insured. Most of them are, but not all. So you have to check. So the FDIC has rules. Like everything's got rules, right? There's always rules you have to follow. And it's not just you open an account and you're fine. Right, so here's your rules. So the FDIC deposit insurance covers the balance of each of your accounts dollar for dollar up to the insurance limit, which is $250,000 right now, including principal and any accrued interest that you got through your account through the date of the insured bank's closing. So basically, they cover all of your money up to $250,000 in that account. That's what that means. So this is where it gets a little sticky. So the the standard deposit insurance coverage limit is $250,000 per depositor, per FDIC insured bank, per ownership category. This is the part that gets sticky, the categories. So you have the deposits that are held in different ownership categories that are separately insured up to at least $250,000, even if they're held at the same bank. So the FDIC refers to these different categories as ownership categories. And this means that if you're a bank customer at this bank and you have multiple accounts at this one bank, you might be able to qualify for more than $250,000 in insurance coverage if your funds are deposited in different ownership categories. There has to be different requirements for each of these categories. So this is where you have to just ask your bank because 
the way that they categorize it at each bank could be a little different as well. So you want to always ask. There's no shame in asking. That's how you learn. This generally just means that the way you hold your money in certain accounts, right? Some examples of the FDIC ownership categories include, I'm going to give you a list, single accounts, certain retirement accounts, employee benefit plan accounts, joint accounts, trust accounts, business accounts, as well as government accounts. The, the safest way, if you have more than $250,000, is to just open an account at a different bank, right? Or you can also add a joint owner. So if you have a joint account, you each are insured up to $250,000 in your joint account. And if you don't have a joint owner, like if you're a single mom like me, then just open up another account at a different bank. Or obviously get an account that's in a different ownership category if that works for you. Or you can join a credit union because the FDIC does not insure share accounts at credit unions. So you ask, so if they don't insure my money, then why would I put my money in a credit union? Because credit unions fail just like banks. They can. And they have. Even prior to all of this current banking mess that's going on now. But credit union depositors are actually insured just from a different insurance fund. It's called the NCUA. So which one's better? Is the FDIC or the NCUA insurance better? They're basically the same thing. The FDIC and the NCUA insurance offer essentially the same type and amount of coverage. So the real choice is just really between a credit union and a bank. Neither is better. It's simply just a matter of which works better for you and your finances. The NCUA also insures you up to $250,000. And you can find a list of all the federally insured credit unions on the NCUA agency's website, which is simply ncua.gov. And also you can go to fdic.gov and you can find all of this information online and you can read through all of it if you really want to. But basically, I do all the reading so you don't have to. <laughs> it's all right here for you in my head in my brain. So the standard share insurance amount is $250,000 per share owner per insured credit union for each account ownership category. Basically the same thing. Both the NCUA and the FDIC are responsible for insuring your funds in the event that a financial institution fails. The NCUA insures credit union accounts and the FDIC provides federal insurance for bank accounts and they both come with the same limits on the insurance coverage. So it really all comes down to knowing how to protect your cash because that's the most important thing that you need to know when you're creating wealth for you and your family, how to protect it. If you resonated with any of this information today, please let me know. I love hearing from you. You can always reach out to me by email at eileen at eileenjoy.com, DM me on Instagram, eileenjoymoneycoach, you can always find me on my website, momswhomoney.com, or just come hang out with me on Instagram. We're always having fun in my stories. And thank you. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today and especially investing in yourself because you are your own best investment. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you loved what you heard today, please share on your social media and tag me at Eileen Joy Money Coach so I can see which episodes you're loving. The only way this podcast grows is by you sharing it. Please rate, review, and subscribe down below. See you next week.